I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. All right. Joining me today is Dr. Ron Maestas. He's the former cross-country coach at New Mexico Highlands University out of Las Vegas, New Mexico. He coached them to three top four uh, national championship finishes, including a runner-up in 1989. He's been an age group uh, racquetball champion and uh, a official for basketball, softball, baseball, um, and wrestling uh, in northern New Mexico for years. And uh, thank you for joining me today. Thank you. So before you got into coaching, uh, you did do some running back in high school, right? Well, back then, we uh, I ran a mile. Nothing uh, earth-shaking, but uh, I was a miler. I did go to state. I saw a lot of people ahead of me. And that was the end of my running career. <laughs> that was the beginning and the end. <laughs> uh, and what were the tracks like back then? Cinder. Cinder <laughs> tracks. Dirt, dirt tracks. I, I, I've heard, and I just can't even imagine running on, on those kind of surfaces. Oh, yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> At least not for speed, anyway. I like them on, you know, running the trails and getting my long runs in, but... For speed, it seems a little uh, difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And so you ended up, you you went to Adams State University. And, you know, what was that experience like? And, you know, did you know at the time that you wanted to, to get into coaching? No, I did not. Um, I majored in business. But being around Alamosa... And Dr. Joe Ivy Hill uh, got exposed real early to uh, some of his ideas and some of his accomplishments. I remember the uh, the trials for the marathon, the 68 Olympics were held in Alamosa. But I didn't uh, I didn't get into the uh, I didn't major in physical education or coaching. Uh, my major was business and. Your bachelor's and master's degree there. So, you know, getting your bachelor's in, in business, how did you, I mean, I know Alamos is a small town, <laughs> you're, you're going to run into people, but how did you end up kind of, um, I guess, meeting Dr. V or Coach V Hill? Well, he was a famous figure in Alamosa and throughout the, uh, the state, uh, the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference. I got to know him. I, I briefly knew him back in the uh, mid-60s. But when I um, became the uh, cross-country coach at Highlands, I then became a disciple. Everything that, that he ever wrote, everything that ever uh, spoke, I attended all of his seminars and clinics. Uh, we would meet on the road uh, up in Denver, up in Gunnison. We would go out for a jog. I'd pick his brain get back to my motel, write down all these ideas that he shared with me. Those became our workouts for the next week. The next week. 
Well, in everything I've heard, it, you know, he was very open with what he was doing and, and sharing it with, you know, whoever wanted to listen. Yeah, he, uh, he not only did a tremendous job with his teams, and I might say that New Mexico runners uh, did very well for Jovi Hill. But uh, Coach Rio was always, always um, not only coaches teams, but he coached a lot of coaches in the conference. You either, if you wanted to compete, you had to study, you had to prepare. If not, just stay on the pro on the porch. Uh, that's that's. I mean, it's great when coaches, you know, do that and help elevate the sport you know, at all levels, not just with their own athletes, but, but bringing up everybody around them. It, it just, uh, it speaks a lot to, to his quality, obviously. We, um, we still keep in communication with each other. After 50 some years, he calls me, I call him. Over the last uh, two or three Olympics, he uh, sends me, of course, he has no shortage of, uh, of uh, apparel. And him and I being kind of the same size, uh, lo and behold, he sends me a shirt here, a shirt there, pictures. Uh, he sent me a, some really amazing photos of the uh, of the um, opening ceremonies and closing ceremonies at Beijing. You know, they had that, um, what did they call that? I can't remember the name of the stadium, but um, the cube, they call it cube. Anyway, there's a shot there that um, in the opening ceremonies where this guy is floating around the cube on a wire, and you can barely see the wire. Wow. But um, he shared a lot of uh, pictures with me and a lot of stories and uh, really, really has remained a, a very good friend. I admire him highly. Uh, there's no better coach. In my opinion, of course, I'm biased. Um, <laughs> I know that uh, in New Mexico, at the University of New Mexico, they're in their long and story history. Uh, Silverberg, um, Dale Hessel, um, uh, Hugh Hackett, the, um, the Henry brothers, the family. Uh, they're certainly a, a legend in New Mexico. But uh, in my estimation, uh, Joe V. Hill has stood out uh, not only in terms of um, national championships, but uh, coaching, coaching or producing over 500-plus All-Americans. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people would definitely agree with you. He did a lot, again, for the sport, for Adam State, and, I mean, for coaches, He's definitely regarded as, as one of the best, and I, it's part of the reason Adam State is still what they are today, you know, because of what he built Absolutely. Um, at that time. What, what I like about Jovi Hill is that uh, he is one of three coaches that has been memorialized with a statue, uh, Jumbo Elliott being uh, the other one, um, Joe, and then, um, oh, who's the other guy? Uh, I think he was at Oregon. Uh, Bowerman? Bowerman. And, of course, Joe has been 
selected as the um, coach of the uh, Legends of um, of Track, and his uh, his uh, statue is also now at the um, University of Oregon as part of that whole Olympic movement. That's amazing. And so, how did you end up at New Mexico Highlands? Well, I uh, I started teaching school. Uh, by the way, I graduated from Adam State in 1967, right smack in the middle of the Vietnam War. I um, I had too many friends that um, did not return, other than a pine box. So I took a job in Antonito with a uh, school that provided me a deferment. And I taught there for a year. And then I looked at my paycheck and I said, oh my gosh, I'm making less. And I was coaching basketball, freshman basketball, driving the bus. And my take-home pay was less than what I made as a work study while I was at Adam State. Wow. So I, I, I applied for a job in Taos. Uh, I was interested in becoming the baseball coach. When I interviewed, they uh, told me that I, I would be the baseball coach in a matter of a, a year or two. A year or two came and passed, and nothing happened. So then I moved over to El Rito. And while I was at El Rito, I uh, learned of a fellowship sponsored by the Ford Foundation. I applied and received the, the fellowship. It was an experience-oriented fellowship. The only requirement was that we had to move uh, every three months. I started in Washington, D.C. I then drove to San Francisco. I spent three months in Phoenix and finally uh, ended three months in Denver. While I was at Phoenix, all of a sudden, I saw a, um, a vacancy announcement. They were looking for a professor at uh, Las Vegas, New Mexico, Highlands University. So I told my wife, uh, would you like to live in Las Vegas? And she says, well, let's take a look at it. And 45 years later, I just finished a 45 career at Highlands. Wow. Wow, that's that's quite a journey to get there. Um, I had no idea you, you know, were were doing that much kind of traveling leading up to that. Yeah, it was uh, really an experience. It was it was designed to get rural uh, students into an urban environment, and at that time, the emphasis was on economic opportunity for minorities. So we were interning at various community-based organizations in each and every one of those locations. Wow, that, that, is, that is a pretty amazing experience. I, I got to meet and I worked with uh, Cesar Chavez with the United Farm Workers Union when I was in Arizona. Wow. I spent, I spent three months kind of volunteering my, my time and resources. The Ford Foundation picked up all of our expenses living as well as travel. That's amazing. That is, uh, I, I, yeah, I, that's, that's just very cool. 
that you were able to have that experience. And I can't imagine as a uh, a young Hispanic man being able to meet and work with Cesar Chavez, and that had to have been pretty amazing. It really opened up the world to us. It, it definitely sounds like it. And so when you got to New Mexico Highlands, um, how did you end up becoming a cross-country coach? You know, you talked about uh, having ideals of wanting to be a baseball coach. How did you end up with the cross-country team? Well, that's another story. <laughs> I, uh, in 1976, I uh, decided that if I wanted to stay at, at Highlands, I was going to need a doctor's degree. So I applied at the University of Arizona and at Arizona State. I heard from Arizona State first, and um, I did, did my doctoral work there. So in 1979, I finished my Ph.D., came back to Highlands, got tenure. Well, one day I was sitting in my office. Some of the cross-country kids came into my office and said that they needed a um, – cross-country coach. And I said, cross-country, what's that? <laughs> and George Chavez had been the coach for a couple of years. And um, I like George Chavez. The Chavises are certainly the pride of um, Robertson High School, and they did well at Eastern New Mexico. But uh, George ended up uh, putting his schedule together for races where he could compete. And, of course, he was outrunning his own runners. So that's not a good idea. But but the, the position became open. Uh, I went to talk to the athletic director, Jim Marshall. And there was also a wrestling coaching position open. So when I walked into him, I into his office, I told him I was interested in applying for the um, for the wrestling job because I was a wrestler in high school also. And he said, "Well, I'm not. I don't need a wrestling coach. I need a cross country coach." I says, "I know more about wrestling than I do cross country." He turns around to his bookshelf. He gets a book and he says, "Here, you you are my cross country coach." <laughs> I said, "Oh shit!" So. I started doing a lot of reading, everything that I could find about training, about uh, running, the uh, psychological as well as the physiological aspects, everything that Joe Hill would write, I would subscribe to it. I was kind of an of inherent uh, disciple. I put together my, um, my schedule and... Um, Anywhere that Adam State was running, we would go there. My philosophy then, as it is now, if you want to be the best, you have to run with the best. Every once in a while, we would take a little break and go to the East Texas area and run there. Uh, we would we would every year run at uh, New Mexico State. We would also run at UNM. The uh, funny part about New Mexico State and UNM is they would uh, permit us to run in their races there, but they would never come up to Las Vegas. 
I soon figured out why. You know, we were training at altitude. Right. And at altitude, some very interesting things developed in terms of the human body. We did uh, a workout once a week up at uh, Johnson's Mesa and Hermit's Peak. We would do mile repeats. A little bit of recovery time, not 100% recover. Another mile. Another mile. Another mile. Then I laid out a uh, 300-meter loop on very top, and we used to do our speed workouts. So by the time we got ready for our regional meets, the qualifying meet for nationals, we were in good shape. We could run faster. We could run harder. We didn't expend expend, uh, the the blood cells uh, that fast. And I told my my kids, you know, this is going to pay dividends if and when we get to nationals. Well, lo and behold, in 1980. Two or 1983, I forget when, we finished fourth. And, you know, I had been there once before with an individual that I took uh, by the name of Lawrence Naranjo. We get to the race. The race is uh, 450 to 500 runners, NAIA at the time. Right. Uh, I used to marvel when I walked into the registration uh, area to check in my runner, I saw these gorgeous team trophies. Well, I said, well, I'll never get one of those. You know, we're a small program. We're Highlands. And um, the next year, I came back, did a little more recruiting. Recruiting was difficult at Highlands. You know, the, the popular schools in New Mexico, the University of New Mexico, New Mexico State, they had their pick of the litter. And um, and I ended up with a lot of runners that, for all practical purposes, were not state champions. But they were those kids that were second or third that still had goals to reach. And, you know, by the grace of God, all New Mexicans, Native Americans, thanks to the coaches that at Robertson, at West, at Mora, at Taos, at uh, Santa Fe Indian School, Shiprock, Crown Point, Laguna Acoma, Grants, and so forth. I was able. I was able to get those kids. Now, as I reflect back, you know, I think I was the the only coach at the collegiate level that took an all minority team to the highest levels possible. And to me, I was proud. I remember one time walking into um, Kenosha, Wisconsin. We went into the restaurant to eat, and everybody, like, followed us in, like, I don't know. Uh, it was kind of uncomfortable that they would stare us down for the minute we, they, we walked into the door till we got seated. Finally, somebody asked me, says, uh, are you from Mexico? Says I didn't. I didn't know they let they would allow Mexicans to run at the national championships. Wow! 
And I says, uh, what? I said, you heard of New York, New Hampshire? Well, I said, you mustn't have read all your ge geography because there's a place called New Mexico. <laughs> and by the time we ended, they knew where Las Vegas, New Mexico was from. Oh, that's that's fantastic, Coach. And there's a lot in there. You know, I want to go back for just a second. I want to talk about the Johnson's Mesa and Hermit's Peak workouts. You know, for those people who aren't familiar, you know, what's the elevation up at the at the top of those two peaks? Ten thousand five hundred. And and so you know, Johnson's Mesa. I know you you can. There is a little road you can take towards the top, but you know, you've got to run to the top of uh, Hermit's Peak to get there. That's correct. And so, and that is not a, it's not an easy workout to to run up that mountain to then have to do a workout up there. I cannot, uh, I know when, when I was in high school, we ran up a couple of times, just that was the workout. That's it, running up, running down. <laughs> we would run that every week. Once a week. Wow. And then, of course, there were times that on Sundays, you're probably familiar with the um, the Guinness River and where the Guinness River ends and the um, Pecos Wilderness Trail begins. Yep. I would have them run that trail, and my wife and I would make a picnic, have all the goodies ready for them when they came down. But uh, they really uh, they really enjoyed this, the scenery. Oh, it's beautiful up there. Anybody who hasn't been, it is it is beautiful. That's, uh, that's God's country. Right. <laughs> well, another uh, route that we used to run, and I, I think you'll be familiar, but uh, you know where San Jeronimo is? Yes. And you know the road that goes to Camp Blue Haven? Oh, I'm not sure if I'm familiar with that one. Okay, well, that's sort of at the end of of uh, San Jeronimo. And the road is, um, is like blocked off. I would drop them off there. It was a Sunday run. I would drive back and go, go back the other way around. By the time they had finished the workout, I was there to pick them up on Johnson's Mesa. Wow. We had another favorite place to run because with long-distance runners, you need to vary the terrain. If you have them uh, running on the same uh, course, uh, you know, we did do some running out towards McAllister Lake and stuff like that. Wanted to keep the kids away from the traffic. But right. uh, another one of my favorite places was uh, in Mora, right below um, uh, Cleveland and Holman itself. There's a dirt road that goes all the way up to the top of Holman Hill. I would drop them off the bottom, come around the top, and, of course, they would be there 45, 50 minutes later. Wow. While you're training on hills and mountains and, and uh, high altitude, you're also training the mind. The mind gets tougher. Okay. Absolutely. And these were tough kids. 
you, you know, your father probably knows, cross-country is not only physical, but it's also mental. Those nine inches above the shoulders are what makes the difference between champions and those that bring up the rear. Absolutely. And, and so during this time, you know, you're, you're shuttling them <laughs> all over the place for these workouts as well as meet, you know, what you, you talked about you and your wife, you know, having, you know, setting out picnics for them, you know, was this funded by the school or was this out of your own pocket? It was funded by the Ron Maestas scholarship. <laughs> probably, uh, probably been in a violation of NCAA rules, but uh, at that time, NAIA, we weren't as, as, as stringent. No, I, uh, I, I put in probably more out of my pocket to keep that program running than what they were paying me. I didn't do it for the pay. I did it for the love of the kids. I did it for the love of the program. I think most coaches are <laughs> feel the same way as you. It's not a um, it's not a profession you're going to get wealthy out of. That's for sure. Well, I was looking uh, a couple of days ago at the um, salary that Pat, um, the coach at Texas A&M, Henry. Oh right. And he makes seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Wow. There's not too many Pat Henrys in the world. No. No. And and again, you talked about you know it being a small program and and having a hard time recruiting. You know, you mentioned again UNM, New Mexico State, but you also mentioned at the beginning. I mean, Adams State has always done really well. And they've always had a lot of New Mexican runners. And so what, what was that like, even just trying to compete with recruiting against, you know, Adam State? Well, you know, um, the ironic part about it is that uh, I don't think Joe Hill spent too much time in New Mexico. These kids would gravitate to him. I don't know if you remember the names of... Uh, People like Peter Grand, Robbie Hipwood, Rick Royball, yep. Tom White. Tom White was there from West Mesa. We would go to the yep. national meet, and the, most of the rest of the coaches were busy coaching our, our runners. Joe Hill would be like the Pied Piper, and he would have kids coming in from Illinois, from New York, from Montana, from um, – South Dakota, at his at his uh, coat and tail, wanting to uh, these kids wanting to get his attention. So he developed his program to the level that he did. At one time, he carried about fifty runners that quite conceivably could have been a um, uh, F team, you know, A, B, C, D. EF. Right. I remember. I remember one year we held the uh, the uh, regional conference meet, the qualifying meet here in Las Vegas, 
I put them up in uh, behind the uh, King Stadium up here at uh, in Las Vegas. Oh right, yeah. Well, Jova Hill wanted to uh, preview the course the night before, and he uh, asked me if I'd take him out there. I said sure. Well, he got his van stuck, and he said, "Ron, uh, this is not cross country, Ron." Ron, what are you trying to do? I said, we're trying to slow you down. <laughs> and so, oh, okay. So we finished second at the regional meet here. And, of course, that qualified us to go to nationals. I have a picture of Chuck um, of, um, Aragon. Yes. Chuck Aragon? Yes. Dr. Yes. Chuck Aragon. He was, he was our, our race wearing an Athletics West jersey, uh, a wow. hoodie. But I've known Chuck ever since those days. Wow. And you've come across a lot of these, uh, you know, New Mexico greats. You, uh, I know, I think in another interview, you talked about uh, Jerry Garcia doing his master's degree there in New Mexico Highlands and you had him come and run with your kids as well. Right. And you know, Jerry uh, Jerry grew up in El Rito, five-time state champion. A record that'll right. never be broken, could be matched, but he won it five straight years. He, uh, he started his running career out of high school at Eastern New Mexico. Then their coach left Babcock, and he went to uh, Lamar uh, University in Beaumont, and he took Jerry with him. That's where Jerry became an All-American in uh, cross-country. Jerry still had one year of eligibility. I begged him to run for us, and he was kind of introvert. He hummed and he hawed, and I said, well, okay, Jerry. If you don't want to run with the team, can you come just work out with us so these kids will know what it takes to become a five-time state champion or an NCAA All-American? Very good kid. Him and I are still good friends and close uh, communication. He recently wrote a book, Growing the Runner, and he, he documents all of his experiences growing up in high school. That's amazing. I hadn't heard about that, actually. Yeah, I had him here for about two years until he finished his his, his uh, master's degree in uh, social work. That's amazing. Uh, you know, and and so talking, you know, you, like I said, you were top four finisher at the NA National Cross Country Championships. In 89, you guys were runner-ups. What was that experience like? Well, you know, uh, funny you should ask. uh, My son, Raymond, who was my little assistant coach, unpaid, would always (laughs) uh, go to nationals. That was his Christmas present. And on that day, we get to the finish line, and he said, Daddy, you guys did well. I said, what do you mean? Because I was just looking at the 
at the individual runners, he says, other than Adam State, no one else had more than one All-American. And he says, you had three. He says, I think you finished pretty high. And I said, well, how high? Well, we had to wait <laughs> to the banquet. We went to the banquet, and um, I already had two fourth-place trophies. So then they started with uh, naming the fourth-place team, no Highlands, third-place team, no Highlands, second-place team, Highlands University. Wow. I just was amazed. Jova Hill and I, who grew up within seven miles from each other, were, were standing there before the national um, NEIA, two Hispanics, with our teams there. We had a fellow by the name of uh, Jack Hazen, who was the coach at Malone University. He came up to me after the banquet, and he said, Ron, can you do us a favor? I said, what's that? Can you and Joe just uh, decide how much of the hardware All-Americans you want? And then when you finished with your All-Americans, send the rest to us? Well, I tell you what, to me, that was respect. And that Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference was well thought of at the national level. And, of course, to be invited and appeared in that dance, I was in awe, you know. I, I, I can only imagine. All New Mexico kids. I didn't have a budget for, um, for recruiting anybody to, to have to pay out-of-state tuition for it. We didn't have an indoor program. We, di we didn't have a track program, indoors or outdoors. Some of my runners needed to be running. But to be honest with you, they were full-time students rather than being full-time athletes. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that can definitely, you know, hurt a program without, you know, one, not having scholarships, but two, a lot, a lot of kids, especially now, and I can imagine it was probably similar then, looking to be able to um, be running and competing, you know, year-round. So with, to be able to do that without having you know, the track and cross country program. Um, uh, Bob DeRees has, you know, had a similar problem when he first started. So that is, that is no small feat. Well, I'm happy. I'm happy for Bob DeVries. He's done a remarkable job with the um, indoor and outdoor track, not even having a facility to train with, but, you know, his budget is uh, upward to 80,000. You know what my budget was? <laughs> Ten. Wow. I had to I had to pay travel, scholarships, meals, and uh, what was that left over? Your salary. Never did get a, an increase from one year to the next. Wow. As a matter of fact, one time I almost got in trouble with my athletic director. I came in as proud as a peacock with our fourth place trophy I put it on his desk and he said hmm fourth huh how many teams were there four wow man I came close to, to slugging him you know Jim <laughs> Marshall used to be uh, the baseball coach here 
So the next year, we bring home another fourth place trophy. And again, I'm proud as a peacock. I take it into him. He says, oh, no improvement. So I had those little problems to live with, too. Right. Fortunately, he wasn't around. Fortunately, he wasn't around the, uh, the year we took second. But yeah. he did attend uh, my induction into the New Mexico Sports Hall of Fame. And he said, Ron, I don't know if you remember how he talked, but he had a, a good old non-New Mexico accent. Ron, I'm so proud of you. You remember you wanted to be the wrestling coach? Can you imagine what you've accomplished? So I told my wife, finally, I heard uh, <laughs> a good compliment from, from Jim Marshall. <laughs> you know, and part of those accomplishments, you were an Olympic coach in 1988. Uh, That's correct. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that was uh, an experience of a lifetime. Uh, I have a picture of myself and uh, Sidney Marie, who was uh, representing the United States. I had a young man by the name of Gideon Mathumbo, who was from Swaziland, and then a couple of other of his uh, compatriots from Swaziland. But um, the Olympics, of course, is a, is a very, uh, uh, what can I say, mind-boggling experience. The opening ceremonies, the closing ceremonies, just the whole notion to say here, there's a little kid out of Romeo, Manassas, Colorado, on international stage. You know, by the way, along the line, I was able to uh, personally meet Sebastian Coe. There was a national cross-country conference in Denver. And uh, Sebastian Coe, your namesake. Right. He and um, his father, his father, Peter, was his coach. Right. His, his father, Sebastian, and I were recognized for a Lifetime Achievement Award with the um, Cross Country uh, National Clinic. Wow. But uh, Cross Country, Cross Country was... Um, for me, I had just finished a, a PhD degree. I said, if if I can do that, I can learn a little bit about this sport. And believe you me, um, year by year, mile by mile, workout by workout, everything fell in place. I had some tremendous athletes. They had a love for me, and in turn, I fell in love with him, with them, and the program. I think, you know, any kid, any runner is going to do so much better when, when they believe and, and trust and, you know, are willing to, to follow that coach. And, you know, it definitely seems like your runners were willing to follow you and believe in you and trust in you. That, uh, that's the ingredient. Trust and respect. And respect is not given, it's earned. And I had respect for them. 
because they put their stock into Highlands University in that purple and white uniform. By the way, I don't want to sound uh, like a pauper, but Nike did pick us up as one of their four, four teams that provide us with uniforms, singlets, shoes, and everything. Wow. I didn't have to worry about buying shoes. That's that's great. I also had a good friend, a name you'll remember, I'm sure. You remember Ted Banks? I don't. Does that ring a bell? No. Oh, Sebastian. <laughs> he, he was the the maker of the El Paso cross-country track team. Oh, wow. I, I did not know that. Well, let me tell you a story about what happened with uh, Ted Banks. Bill Silverberg had some kind of connection with the um, International Aid for Development that would take him to uh, Kenya, Tanzania, Ethiopia. He would come back loaded with um, with runners. He had several of them, John Boyd, John Kibro, that um, that ran for Eastern right. national champions and stuff like that. Well, one year, uh, the runners ended up, came over, and they landed in El Paso. They thought they were at Portales. They picked up the phone, called the college, and said, Coach, we're here. <laughs> well, these kids didn't, did not realize. And, of course, uh, Ted Banks picked them up, and they never left. Matthew <laughs> Maseratu, um, all those guys. They built a dynasty. But anyway, Ted Banks saw me one time. We were running without spikes. And he says, well, don't you have spike tree kids? I said, no. The next week, he sent me 24 pair of spikes. That's fantastic. And, of course, he had, a, he had a shoe contract. The camaraderie between coaches like Ted Banks, like Joe V. Hill, were immeasurable. They helped me in many, many ways. That's, that's again, I, I mentioned it before, you know, with Coach V. Hill, but it's amazing when coaches gather around and talk and, and elevate the sport and don't try to, I mean, there's, like you said, there's no secret to any of this. It's about building relationships and, and that goes you know, with the people you're you're competing against as well. So uh, that's amazing. Well, one of the biggest honors to me was uh, when I got inducted in 2017. Actually, I was in the class of 2017. The, the banquet was 2018. But all of the Henry brothers came up to me and congratulated me and shook my hand. That's fantastic. That was that. That was a good, great feeling for me. And, and you know, when a person coaches, you know, a, a person doesn't um, go into this sport or go into coaching looking for awards, for Halls of Fame or whatever. But my kids at Highlands made a mediocre coach look great. 
<laughs> I had some really hardworking, good kids, all of them. I don't want to single any names out because we were a team. And, and in team, there is no I in team. And you're only as strong in this sport as your fifth runner. To me, the That's fifth right. runner is just as important as the first runner. Because if for some reason or other, the fifth runner doesn't come through, there is no second place at Nationals. That is absolutely true. And, you know, you're obviously giving that credit to your runners, which, I mean, you, you have to really as a coach. And, and you're talking about this love of it. When did you know it was time to hang it up and call it quits? Well, that's an interesting story in itself. During the time when I was coaching, my oldest son was a football player, pretty good at football player. I would be 300, 400 miles away. I would tell my wife, put the phone next to the uh, radio, let me hear the game. So I missed a lot of his games. When my last son got into high school, I said, I'm not going to uh, put myself through that again. The other thing that kind of made me open my eyes is that I was I was the bus driver. I was the nutritionist. I was the coach. I didn't have a driver. One time we were driving back from Nationals, and we were coming into Las Vegas about 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. On Nine Mile Hill, with all my kids fast asleep, all of a sudden I saw the white line cross right in front of me. I says, which, which line do I follow? I was actually falling asleep. Wow. And I came to the realization that on any given night or trip, I could not, I would, I would, could not live with myself if I ever had an accident and one of those kids got hurt. So I, I just, I said, that's enough. I mean, we were traveling, we were traveling to uh, Tucson, to uh, Phoenix, uh, Silver City, Utah, uh, Wyoming. We were going to uh, Kansas. We ran against Kansas State, uh, Kansas University, Wichita State. We ran against Texas, Texas Tech, West Texas State. We ran across uh, teams that were 100% Kenyans, like Tanzanians, Ethiopians. So that's a tough job to try to do. And uh, we held our own. We held our own, but that was too much driving. And I was still teaching full-time, by the way. Wow. We were holding practices twice a day, 5 o'clock in the morning. I would uh, get up at 4, 4.30 to start picking them up. Uh, I'd go to class at 7.30, get ready to teach, arrange, arrange my classes to finish by the time 3 o'clock came around, have our afternoon workouts. I was burning the candle at, at, at two ends. Had no assistant coach, no assistant driver. 
and, and I, I got scared. I thank the Lord, the good Lord, for bringing us home. Because at any given time, you know, our, our baseball team one time got in an accident in, um, in Farmington, and one of the basketball players ended up permanently disabled. And I said, Ron, uh, you've had a good ride. Ten years at that pace that I was going every single weekend, every single weekend, takes takes a toll on a person. Right. And then by that time, too, my wife one day asked me, says, well, did you go get your Ph.D. to be a coach or to become a business teacher? And I says, honey, you're right. I went to get my doctorate degree to teach. You know, obviously, like you said, burning the candle at both ends, you were you were doing a lot for that program and for those kids. And, you know, again, any I think any coach, a lot of coaches would do that, but it does eventually take its toll. And, and that's. It can be hard to, I think, you know, realize when that when that time it is up. So, you know, I commend you on, on realizing that, that that couldn't have been an easy decision, you know, no matter how you were looking at it. You know, uh, there were multiple times that we would run uh, and the Air Force Academy would come in in two um, charter buses, one for the men and one for the women. And we were going in a little van and I was, there were, the kids were like, a can of sardines. I had a men's program. I created a women's program out of the same budget, no extra money. But uh, I qualified both my my men and my women to nationals. That's fantastic. Now, when you when you did um, hang it up and you were no longer coaching. You didn't slow down because, as I mentioned in the beginning, you were an official in several sports through northern New Mexico. Uh, you were doing a lot of racquetball. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about about that, about your own kind of racquetball experiences and then kind of going back and, and officiating, you know, uh, with these high school sports. Well... You know, I, uh, I've officiated for 53 years. And right now, uh, with the question mark up in the air about whether sports, basketball, especially up here in the north, if they're going to have a team or not, last year I did one baseball game and they pulled the plug. I feel bad for last year's juniors and this year's seniors that their athletic careers may end uh, on a note that they're not going to be happy with. And, you know, high school graduation are memories. And I feel bad because these students are going to have, student athletes are going to have this kind of a memory. I understand that uh, Robertson and West are not going to field baseball or softball. Uh It'll be interesting to see just how long, how many games, how many cross-country races 
there will be, I think they're they're talking maybe three or four, and then advancing to the state tournament. Um, the world has changed. The world has changed. But um, I've always loved athletics. I've always liked to compete. I don't know if you remember when the uh, Wilson Complex was built. They had uh, six racquetball courts. Right. And there was a young man by the name of Milner Maestas, who was the equipment manager. So I went up to him and I said, hey, Milner, uh, I'll make a deal with you. I need uh, two pair of goggles, uh, two rackets, and I'll give you a pair of Nike training shoes. And he says, deal. So my son and I started playing a little bit. We liked the game. Uh, there was a league in Santa Fe. We would drive there once a week. There were some tournaments that were going on. Uh, I would go mainly because he's the better, he's the better of the of the two players. Obviously, uh, he's the number one player in New Mexico, and probably one of the better players in the nation. So when I would go with him to Houston, to L.A., to Minneapolis, uh, and all points in between. He finally said, Dad, why don't, you, uh, why don't you enter a division? I said, all right. I entered an age group division. I won uh, two or three singles titles. Then he said, Dad, why don't you and I play doubles together? And he was an open player. I'm far from being open. But he said, he said, I want you to do this particular serve. And it's a lob serve. And I practice it, practice it over and over and over again till I was able to get it right next to the wall like wallpaper. Well, with that kind of a serve, there's no way that the opponent can do an offensive return. All you can do is defensively return the ball. And Raymond would just jam that ball five, six inches from the bottom. We ended up winning seven national titles. Wow. It was funny because one time I, this uh, person came up to my son and he says, I didn't know your brother was that good of a racquetball player. <laughs> I said, that's not my brother. That's my dad. <laughs> so we really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed it. As an official, you know, my sons were involved in baseball. Uh, I couldn't think of a better seat than to be right at home plate watching them play. They were both catchers, and um, I picked up a few bucks along the way. <laughs> I never thought I was going to. I never thought I was going to last fifty some years. Uh, I did work, get selected for twenty three state championships. Wow! In in softball, and baseball, in wrestling. Um, I think it's just the. Um, the love of sports. You know, to me, uh, wrestlers especially remind me of uh, cross-country runners. As a matter of fact, I even have told several people that wrestlers and cross-country runners are the toughest athletes pound for pound. Because a cross-country runner, if you train 100 to 120 miles a week, that takes a lot of discipline. 
you don't have to be six foot nine, six foot ten. If you're five foot five, five foot six, maybe five foot seven, pound for pound, you can compete. The same thing with wrestlers. Wrestlers, it's mano a mano, one period after another. If you get put on your back and you lay there like a turtle, you can't call time out, but you have to find a way to, to get out from that situation. Very tough mentally and very tough physically. Now, a lot of basketball coaches argue with me that that's not true. I said, well, come on out and let me take you for a 25-mile run <laughs> and see how you hold up. I think just a couple of miles up to the top of Hermit's Peak would be sufficient. <laughs> oh, yeah, there are tons of be There are tons of be hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> Did you well, ever... I've had some good kids. I, I, it sounds like it. Yeah, did you ever have to make a call on the uh, baseball field that went against your sons that they, they might have been angry with you about? Oh, man. Let me tell you what happened. I was calling the bases, and there was a play at third. And I thought I was in good position, but I called the runner out. Guess who the runner was? <laughs> your son? My son. <laughs> he got up and said, told me a bad word. <laughs> and uh, so we get home, and of course, uh, supper was a little cold, and we started arguing about that call. So uh, my wife had a video camera, and she was videotaping down that uh, third base line. So we put the uh, tape on and said, sure, I want to see this play. Well, lo and behold, guess what happened? His other leg crossed the base, and I was looking at the wrong leg. Uh -huh. He was safe. He jumped up and down. He said, see, see. My wife says, told me, said, you will never umpire another game with the boys playing in it. How <laughs> could you do that to your son? I'm going to say, well, that's easy now that we've slowed this thing down and I've had four hours to think about it. But sometimes you have to make a good call, right? Well, I don't want to say a good call. You have to make a call. Right. Whether it's right or wrong, what's right or wrong, sometimes you have to suck it up. Nowadays I learned, you know, I've had a couple of coaches that get a little heated and, um, uh, I'll listen to him. I'll listen to him all the way. And then I tell him, I say, you know what? I say, you may be correct on what you saw, but I'm a little closer to the play, and you're 40 feet away in the dugout. And I says, and I, I just call what I see. And if, it's, if I'm wrong, I will apologize. If it's correctable in terms of misapplication of a rule, I will correct it. I will correct it. But if it's a judgment call, fair, foul, safe, or out, that's why we get to pay the big bucks for it. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, we don't have the opportunity for instant replay. 
even the pros make a mistake. Have right. you seen uh, some of these baseball games? Oh, yeah. I'm sitting there, and I said, I can't believe it. they made that call. Well, they have replay. They have cameras all over the field. Football, the same thing. There's cameras every which way. Um, you still have the need for the human element, and you try to exercise good judgment, whatever whatever you think that word good means. <laughs> but sometimes you, sometimes you blow a call. And sometimes, right after that, uh, I'll like say, Ron, you made a bad call. I had a game at Robertson a couple of years ago, and the coach came out. He was uh, throwing dirt on my shoes and <laughs> shoes that had been nicely polished, and I'm there watching him throw dirt. So I finally said, well, what are you doing? And he said, well, you made a bad call. I said, okay, coach, let's talk about the, the call. But please quit throwing dirt on my shoes. I said, you're going to end up going back in your dugout faster than you came out. <laughs> and he looked at me and said, he says, oh, Ron, okay, he says, forget it, forget it. I'm not, I'm not questioning <laughs> I looked down at my shoes and they were full of dirt. Oh. And the game was there, there at uh, that Robertson Field, you know. Right. But, you know, you know, I've learned in the long run, um, once you put on that uh, striper shirt or that baseball uh, shirt, get a whistle, you're not, you're not invincible. The game is not about you. Uh, I will always take time to answer a coach, explain to a coach, now coach, tell me your side, what did you see? And um, and if I uh, agree with him, I will tell him, coach, I kicked the play, but I learned from it. You know what? You've got, you've got to be able to learn, and you can't be saying, well, I'm the referee, sit down, shut up, Get a technical, you know. Right. You can't I, be. You can't be. Quick draw. Absolutely, I think that's that's a great perspective. I think that's a great place to to wrap up for today. Um, you know, I have one last question for you, and that's just: uh, Is there anything you're listening to, kind of get you motivated, get you pumped, or something that's just you're enjoying listening to right now? Well, you know that. Funny you should ask, but um, have you ever heard of Kenny Chesney? Yep. Kenny Chesney made a song called "Coach," <laughs> and the words of that song are so powerful. And when I got inducted into the Mexico Sports Hall of Fame, one of my runners, who was now the superintendent of school, in Massachusetts, sent me that. Send me that song. I played that song at the very end of my acceptance speech. And um, later on, I had a, a friend that works uh, baseball games at uh, at uh, Phoenix Giants, uh, Diamondbacks, and there was a concert with uh, Kenny Chesney performing 
he went backstage and got me a, a poster and he signed it, Coach Ron. That's great. So I love that coach. I love that song. I mean, that, yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. I'll have to check it out. Um, you know, again, coach, thank you. This has been uh, an honor to talk to you. I, I appreciate your time. Is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? I will tell you that you um, you are a credit to your father, the Romero. Uh, I always uh, admired, had a lot of conversations with uh, your father. I tried recruiting him, but I think he uh, he had our higher aspirations. I think right. um, like a lot of runners, they um, they like that D one. Uh, label, and I, I can't blame him, you know. I just knew that I was in the NAIA. I was going to do the best I could in the NAIA. Uh, one thing I'll tell you, I don't know if, if you remember the first year that uh, the Rocky Mountain Athletic Conference went to NCAA Division Two. they ran a perfect score, one through All five. Right, that's right. Four seconds apart. On that day, with that team, I think they would have won D one. It's my opinion that they would have, they would have won D one that year. I agree. But running, getting prepared, setting goals, accomplishing those goals, they were awesome. I, I had uh, a parent, for example, one time on graduation. Came to see his son. He wasn't able to see him run all the time. But he came down and he said, I want to thank you. I said, thank me for what? He says, what, what you did for Ben, Ben Sandoval. He said, you are like his second father. And he said, he would have never have graduated had it not been for you. And I said, well, I had to make him go to class first. And... You know, I, act, I expected him to be at practice, but he was one tough cookie. I promised to tell you I was going to call out names, but Ben Sandoval, to me, grew into a man that he is today as a result of cross country. Keep on, keep on doing the, the podcast. You're doing a great thing. I'd once again like to thank my guest for their time and thank you for tuning in. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at RunningNewMexico.com at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime, keep running, New Mexico.